Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. A good afternoon to you on a day that is catastrophic or extreme, depending on a large amount of the area where you're living in regional Victoria today in terms of fire. What does that fire mean for farmers in terms of preparation? What are the conditions like now? We will go through all of that together this afternoon. In fact, there is a uh, press conference with the incident controller going on as we speak uh, of the fires that are burning in central Victoria. We'll get that information from him to you as soon as we can on the program as well today. Plus reports of rain. I think we've heard... Reports of it raining out Horsham Way earlier today. You might have a better report that you can send our way too. If you've got any information you think we need, you can always give us a call. 1300 977 1300 or send us a text 0467 842 We're off to Lexton next here on The Country Hour. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yeah, let's see how farmers are preparing for a difficult day fire-wise and also uh, how things are looking right now as we go around the state this lunchtime. Steve Wheeler is uh, farming sheep at Lexton's just off the Sun Raja Highway there. G'day, Steve. G'day, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are, first of all, how are things looking at your part of the world right now? Yeah, it's looking okay out here at the minute. Um, there's no wind, which is good. It's about 28 degrees and... You're getting the odd little misty sort of shower. I, I guess that, uh, that, with it trying to rain, I guess you're hoping it actually gives you something while it's coming over. Yeah, we do. Um, that'd be really good if we could get sort of an inch of rain and just sort of quieten this thing down a little bit. What's it been like for you? You've had a, a large fire burning not far from you. Lexington's been include, included in a lot of the warnings over the last week or so. You're now in that area uh, where people have been advised to evacuate and uh, and you've got a lot of sheep to look after. You've got 10,000 or so, don't you? So so what has the last week been like for you on farm? Yeah, it's just been about trying to move our sheep to safer ground where we can sort of unboxing mobs up so we can actually get them into the yards if we need to where it's bare. So, yeah, just making sure your sheep are in a place where you can get them, yeah, the, the property set up for, for you to be able to uh, to look after, uh, I suppose, important equipment and livestock if you need, if, if a fire starts burning. Yeah, well, hopefully it's, that's our plan. He's always to sort of move them in around the shed in the yards and we always have it pretty bare. So hopefully they'll be safe there if it does come this way. Yeah, certainly so. And, and was it... Oh, <laughs> Frustrating to hear another bad fire weather day was coming this week after after the events of last week? Yeah, well, yeah, well, it is, but there's not much anyone can do about that. It's just prepare and hope that the day doesn't turn out as bad as what they were sort of saying. And how has the wider community been during the, the last week and even today? Um, there's a lot of nervous people around. Um, I haven't seen many today, but, yeah, there's a lot of nervous people around the community and... Some have gone and some have stayed. And is, is that hard in itself, the people making whatever decision it is to, to best suit them? But but clearly there's going to be different decisions made by people, right? Yeah, it is. Um, look, if my, my wife and my kids, they're still here at the moment, but if it comes up over that hill, they'll be gone and we'll be here. 
Yeah, certainly so. And, and as far as uh, preparations and information, have you been getting uh, good information, the information that you want during a period of time like this, Steve? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm part of the CFA, so we get pretty up, good updates. Um, and there's a command comms standing Lexington, so that's sort of – you can go down there at any time and get any updates on the fire and the winds that are predicted and – all that information if you want to. And I bet there's a hive of activity in terms, in terms of numbers and so forth that are around today. Um, yeah, look, there is. Like, Lexington Tank is accrued, ready to go. Um, I know there's a heap of strike teams over at both it, and it's there's more and more getting there all the time. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking us to Lexington. Thank you for telling us how things are looking where you are and what you've been doing to prepare as well. And uh, and I hope some of that rain that's trying to fall on you right now starts to fall. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. That's Steve Wheeler there, uh, farming 10,000 or so sheep at Lexton. Uh, talked about some of his preparations for the fire, uh, for bad fire conditions, not the fire. Hopefully it stays away from him today. Hopefully it stays away from where many of you are. Uh, today as well and the the warnings are there to to warn you but nothing bad happens that's what we're all hoping for right uh jane mcnaughton's been catching up with some farmers on their preparations in and around the fire ground as well we'll catch up with some of those then and then we'll start talking about wine to china and what's happening with vff grain money or levies being affected uh collected for advocacy advocacy for grain farmers that's coming up on today's program as well but let's head out to trawalla now uh, to Rose pa- uh, Grange Pastoral, uh, which is managed by Jim Gaylard. Uh, he runs beef, prime lamb and cropping business just south of the Western Highway, uh, east of Beaufort. He caught up with Jane McNaughton about uh, preparations and how he was getting ready for today. We're 10,500 acres and we run from the north back onto the Carnham Road south. So we're about seven kilometres uh, east of Beaufort on the Western Highway. It's meant to be pretty rough the next couple of days. What have you been doing to prepare your farm and make sure that the livestock are safe? So we've spent a lot of time today and probably over the last few days of making sure that we've got our animals on any greener areas. So we've got some summer crop rape paddocks and things that we can put stock onto, any barrier areas that we know that we've, we've got a bit of a barrier against, so paddocks that might be up against rape paddocks. Um, and we've also we've got a tractor working at the moment just Kelly chaining some country at the northern end of the property which will give us another additional break if something does come onto trawler from that what's scaring us I guess is the Mount Lonic fire or just closer to both at the um, musical gully fire so we're just aware of that at the moment there's been quite a lot of land already burnt in your region what was it like on Thursday and Friday last week when the fire really started to kick up? I went about lunchtime uh, just in the ute and drove just so I could sort of get a visual of, of what was going. We could obviously see the smoke from, from the farm, but I just wanted to get a better handle of um, what was going on. And so I drove up the highway through Beaufort and um, out the other side and I could sort of see it was um, it was pretty nasty. But then um, I had a mate that had some sheep probably in the firing line so i gave him a hand we moved them and yarded some and then hot footed it back to the property and we uh, we've got a central point on the property which we call the summer house and it's um it's the highest point on the farm we sat up there it's a it's a magnificent visual spot for and i think back 
historically it used to be used for a, a, an observation area. So we could get a really good sort of view of what was going on. So I guess with the um, Vic Emergency app and what we could see, we were, we, as fires were coming up, we could, we could see them. So we could either say, right, there's appliances there, we don't need to go there. We then, there were some spot fires right on our boundary. So we, we went to them and, you know, we're quick enough that we could get them under control and help put them out. We were under, I guess, you know, there was a hell of a lot of burnt um, debris and leaves and, and uh, uh, landing on the property. And that was, that was really quite daunting because I guess at that point we were still, you know, we were 12, maybe 15 kilometres away from the front of the fire. So it was a hell of a long way for it to travel. But then we were hearing stories that it was, you know, it was landing in Ballarat, which is, you know, even further. And yeah, so, I mean, I look, and I don't say this lightly, but, I've seen a lot of fires and been a lot of fires in my life, and you know I was actually quite scared on Thursday. It was um, it was the unknown and and spotting so far ahead of itself. And I understand you've also got some fire trucks on the property at the moment in preparation for the next couple of days. Yeah, so we've got an ex CFA fire truck, and we've also got our farm truck that's got um, it's got uh, fifteen thousand litres of water on the back. So I guess as a property, we're quite prepared, and we know I've spoken to. Dan George and he's coordinating I guess a, a farmers sort of group that can protect this area I suppose if all the CFA appliances are out um, and they know they know what we've got and they know that we're fire ready and ready to help so we'll we'll just get a handle of what the day's going to do if it's coming on us and if it's doing what it was doing on Thursday and spotting ahead of itself we'll probably have to stay put and protect the asset here and obviously the immediate surrounds so neighbors you know directly on our boundaries if it's not coming directly at us then we'll we'll go out into the community and the district and help where we can that is range uh, rose grange pastoral farm manager jim gaylard from trawalla speaking there to jane mcnaughton tom drive also farms in the region east of the fires has properties in brewster and glendarul there we go i spat it out he's been busy plowing paddocks preparing to move sheep to safer pastures oh we're under fairly heavy smoky at the minute uh, we're a long way from the fire front itself like it'll be at least 10 k's from our place here at brewster to the nearest uh, large, larger fire, I suppose, from the last week. Yeah, it's pretty hard to say what's happening. The, the smoke's got us sort of blanketed out to the to the level where we sort of can't really tell what's happening around us at the minute. And what are you uh, doing to prepare for the next couple of days? We know that there's some pretty fire-friendly conditions, for lack of a better term. So what are you doing to prepare your farms? Well, at the minute, we've got a lot of sheep on this Brewster block. We're planning on we're playing on paddocks at the minute and, and going to put all the sheep on loud paddocks, which uh, it's nice to have had a bit of time up our sleeve to to get prepared on that uh, on that front, I suppose. It means that hopefully all the livestock should be safe. And how and, many sheep do you think you're going to need to move? Uh, there's about eight thousand on this block. They're not our sheep; they're actually adjustment sheep from further afield, but they've been here for the last month, and uh, and we've got to try and make sure we get them through the next week, I suppose. So how are you feeling at the moment, Tom? I know that you've gone through some pretty horrific fire seasons in the past. Yeah, look, I'd say it's going to be Russian roulette, really. We don't know what will unfold or where it will unfold. Like, yeah, we, we, we're sort of trying to get prepared as best we can, knowing that uh, 
if it gets away, it's going to be hard to handle. But um, on the other hand, yeah, we may we may get off unscathed if we're lucky too. It's quite dry around the Ballarat region at the moment. So talk us through what happened last time there was a large fire in your area. Yeah, well, last time the Mount Bolton fire, and it wasn't large compared with this one. It was probably relatively small compared with this one. But it was able to spot 10Ks out off the, the main fire front. Ran really hard and fast. It was really hard. Sort of didn't matter how many how many tankers you might have had in a paddock. It was getting past us regardless. This fire's yeah going to be far more difficult than that, I would imagine. Uh, even last Thursday, we were on our way to this block with a with a private fire truck of our own, and we actually there was a lot of spot fires um, sort of between the air farm and and Beaufort, I guess, um, or around the Beaufort area, and we diverted off to them rather than coming to our place. But after we'd sort of finished doing what we were doing there and came down here, my kids were actually down here at the Brewster Farm, but um, there was lumps of bark as long as your arm and 10 mil thick that had landed here that had been burnt. It's pretty pretty unbelievable to see what's drifted in the air. Um, so it's not hard to see that the spot fires uh, are going to travel uh, large distances. If it happens again, I'd say spotting out to 10 or 20 k's wouldn't be out of the question at all. Hopefully everyone gets off unscathed. But, yeah, you'd say if we have a lucky day, we'll be all good. Yeah, if we have a rough day, it'll be different, I suppose. That's Glenda Rule and Brewster farmer Tom Dreyf there speaking with Jane McNaughton about the preparations that have been underway. And in good news, there is some rain falling elsewhere. Thank you very much to all the, the people sending in a text where it is falling. Um, 0467 842 722 is the text line. Uh, let's go through some of that now. Ararat. Odd shower this morning, currently 26 degrees with a northerly wind. Uh, hopefully similar conditions out on the fire ground, says one text. Raining now in Ballarat East, Warwick, says one text. About 18 degrees and very light rain in Windaree in Ballarat. Of course, Ballarat's the coldest, but thank you very much for that text. Another text about the rain in Ballarat. Simon says lots of rain here. The radar's looking promising right over the fire-affected areas as well. Thank you very much for sending in that information. Uh, if you have more, you can always send us a text 0467 842 722. We'd love to hear from you on the country hour. Let's turn our away from the fire ground right now. We'll get an update from the incident controller shortly on the program. But before that, let's talk wine with maybe some good news for wine producers in Australia from the World Trade Organisation Conference, uh, which is currently going on. Uh, the ABC, elements of the ABC have been reporting that China's on track to lift the tariffs of up to 200% on Australian wine at the end of March after Trade Minister Don Farrell met with his Chinese counterpart, Wang Wentao. Uh, Trade Minister Farrell and his Chinese counterpart held a meeting on the sidelines of the World Trade Organisation Conference in Abu Dhabi on Monday night, where they discussed the tariffs. Uh, Trentham Estate CEO, Anthony Murphy operates a winery on the New South Wales-Victorian border. He says he's preparing for the market to reopen. We heard March sometime, end of March, you know, quite a while ago now. I think hopefully it, it will happen. What kind of effect would it have on your business if those tariffs were lifted? It'll have a great effect, I think, not only directly but indirectly. We still have a person employed full-time in Shanghai, who has helped us with sales and, of course, for the last couple of years they, they've struggled to get meat sales at all with the tariffs. So it'll be great to have them back selling the way they should be, hopefully. But also indirectly, because of the tariffs, have been a big oversupply of red wine. There's just tanks and tanks of red wine around at the moment. 
So hopefully in time we can clear that backlog and the industry can get back into some type of balance. How big of a market was China for you before the tariffs came in in 2020? Uh, it was about 20% of our sales and growing. And, of course, once the tariffs came along, it just completely stopped, basically, except for sparkling wine. If we can just get back some of that market share, it'll be great um, because the domestic market is very difficult. Do you expect that China could step back in to that 20% of your sales or would you expect it to be a smaller portion at this stage initially? I think initially it'll probably be smaller. We um, we have got uh, two groups coming already in early April, uh, Chinese buyers, so hopefully uh, something will come of that. But they've got to get the our products back on the shelves as well. So it's, you know, it's, it all takes time. Right. Well, that that seems like a fairly good indication if you've got people coming out in early April. Is, is that a very strong indication to you that the market is opening up again? It is. It is. The, the uh, Chinese buyers are saying, um, yes, they're, they're certainly interested in Australian wines again. They... they uh, after we were virtually locked out, they went to Chilean wines and South African wines, and they still prefer Australian wines. Um, you know, it has a, a better quality uh, for money. So I think they will come back for sure. But their economy is a bit, uh, bit slow at the moment, so it probably won't get back to where it was for quite a while, I wouldn't have thought. That was Trentham Estate CEO Anthony Murphy speaking there. Murray Valley Wine Growers CEO Paul Dorico says signs are good at the moment, but he cautions it is too early for growers to get their hopes up. Well, uh, personally, I take the view that we can't take for granted that will happen. Industry communications are that, yeah, yes, it's uh, scheduled to be decided by the 31st of March, but um, we certainly take nothing for granted that will happen. We're really hopeful that the tariffs would be dropped, but then oh, in, that they would be dropped in full. I suppose the other issue is, yeah, it could be in part or in full. And if they were to be dropped, when would that be effective? So um, it would be really good news for industry, but um, we're just holding on tight for the decision to be made in due course. I can hear some hesitancy in your voice. It sounds like you're really tamping down expectations here. Why is that? Oh, really, at the end of the day, yeah, we just can't take for granted these things will happen. We know over the years we've we've uh, probably got our hopes up in certain areas and then um, growers uh, out there who are doing it really tough at the moment um, in some circumstances selling grapes, uh, red grapes very cheaply or not selling them at all. And really when we deliver good news, we want to make sure that it's correct uh, rather than get hopes up and then have that fall flat when, um, you know, our, our best hopes um, don't arise. Speaking hypothetically, if the tariffs were to be lifted, how long would it take for that to have an effect on wine growers? Oh, really, this, that's a hard question to answer in the sense that um, currently within Australia we have in excess of 12 months stock over what we would normally sell in a given year. So um, there's a lot of wine to be sold over um, what would need to be a short period of time. 
look, there would be improvement for growers, you would have thought, in the next year or two, but what that would um, mean in terms of price back to growers or the volume of fruit sold is really difficult to answer. But um, it would be a shot in the arm for the industry. And, um, yeah, it's just difficult to say what immediate effect that would have for growers, but it certainly give growers some expectation that things were on the improve. That is Murray Valley Wine Growers CEO Paul DeRico ending that report from Elsie Kennedy. So with that news uh, that uh, the tariffs might be going on Australian wine, the trade water with China is almost over, isn't it? But is that rush to end the end the trade battle and make it go away, playing down those very real impacts on the Australian economy and to individual farming businesses, like in wine, but to so many other parts of agriculture as well? Looking at this today has been Kath Sullivan, who is our Parliament House reporter and can join us on the program now. Kath, welcome back to the country. Yeah? G'day, Watts. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Are the effects of the trade war and tariff battles still seen in Australia today? Absolutely, absolutely. There are a lot of producers, there are fishers, there are meat processors, and there are wine grape growers in particular who are still really hurting from this trade war, um, which started out before or as the COVID pandemic was really spreading. You might think back to uh, 2020, and it was a number of Australian abattoirs um, in Queensland and New South Wales that were the first to be suspended from exporting to China. At the time, it was over um, labelling complaints. These abattoirs, they represented something like a third of a trade considered to be worth $3.5 billion. And despite some abattoirs getting back into China uh, last year, these big, heavy-hitting ones are still locked out. And they were really the first cab off the rank um, in this trade war that that really spread from a lot of um, diplomatic tensions that didn't necessarily have to do with uh, with primary production. What's the government been saying? Because it, it was big on trying to change the relationship, but yeah. it's been saying that for a long time and not every every tariff is gone, as we've just been speaking about with wine. Yeah, that's right. And um, it's not the same government either. You'll have to recall that we've had a change um, in Canberra and the government has been working to um, restore relations with China, not just the trading relationship, but the diplomatic one as well. And when it comes to trade, we have seen exports that were locked out of China um, since 2020, including barley, coal, timber. Um, I mentioned a few meatworks, including a couple of lamb producers, lamb exporters from Victoria, have been able to get back into China. But this conversation is a long way from over. Um, You've still got tariffs supplying to Australian wine, red wine, into China, a trade that was worth $1.2 billion uh, before these tariffs were applied. I think last year Australia sold something like $10 million worth of wine into China. So there's a big uh, difference there. and you've also got the lobster fishes. That's a trade worth $700 million before <clears throat> quarantine um, concerns were raised by the Chinese government um, again in 2020. And we haven't seen any rock lobster go into that marketplace since. So uh, you might say that things are headed in the right direction. We know before Anthony Albanese went to China last year, um, I think it was November time, the Australian Trade um, Minister and Foreign Minister announced that China had agreed to review these tariffs applied to wine. Um, 
that review was always expected to run until the end of March, which is fast upon us, uh, with the Australian government maintaining that if the tariffs aren't removed, it will resume its complaint with the World Trade Organisation, which I guess is a bit like the independent umpire. So in terms of the, the impacts then and the fallout from this trade mm. war, even if tariffs are returned, we just heard Paul DeRico saying it'll be years before growers start to, yeah. to feel prices go up as they try and clear a backlog of red wine in particular. Um, has the trade relationship and the market of the pro- this produce being produced in uh, Australia, has this been changed forever? Well, I think you could certainly suggest that was... Um, You know, if you talk to wine grape growers, particularly those growing grapes to go into the bulk wine market, they're really hurting at the moment. We've heard about producers receiving the equivalent of 1970s prices. Um, One wine grape grower I met in the South Australian Riverland last year told me um, before China's tariffs, they might receive something like $650 a tonne for Cab Sav or Shiraz grapes. That's more likely to be $120 per tonne this year. That's... That's talk about a cost of living crisis. How do you pay your irrigation bills, your supermarket bills, your electricity bills? How do you keep your vines alive when the prices are going backwards? And while there's a lot of optimism and hope from the government and the industry that China will remove these tariffs, there's so much wine in the world at the moment. There's an absolute glut, even those who have replaced Australia in the highly valuable Chinese marketplace and not getting the returns that Australia saw. The economy there is slowing and there's just going to be such a backlog that it's going to take a long time. And then you've also got the issue of developing trust with customers. You know, for so long, Australia realised it was putting, um, I guess, a lot of its eggs in the China basket, you might say, and that's because it was getting such high returns. There's plenty of people that have been caught out by this trade war, um, including those in the barley, timber and coal sectors. And it'll be interesting to see whether they want to go down the path or whether they're uh, perhaps more willing to diversify for a lower value return. Kath Sullivan, thanks for your time. Thanks, Was. Kath Sullivan there, our reporter in Parliament House. You can read more of her thoughts on this issue online right now at abc.net.au slash rural. Weather report on the way right now, though. Let's get rural news with Fiona Broom. Fiona. G'day, Was. Making rural news today. Woolworths has removed Australian farmer-owned Norco Milk from all of its 150 supermarkets and Metro-branded stores in metropolitan Sydney. In a written statement, a Woolworths spokesperson said the decision was based on customer demand and did not affect any stores stocking Norco Milk north of Sydney. President of the lobby group East Oz Milk, Joe Bradley, says the decision shows the imbalance between supermarkets and producers. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, but it shows to me that, once again, the big supermarket doesn't give a stuff about the consumer and, just as importantly, doesn't give a stuff about the farmer. Simple as that. Woolworths is saying this is in reaction that they've seen lower demand for Norco in metropolitan Sydney stores. What do you think of that? Uh, look, one of the things we have realised is the supermarkets manipulate the way they handle their uh, stocking their shelves to manipulate things that all of a sudden, oh, yeah, well, look, we don't, we don't need to sell that product anymore because we're not selling as much. And it's just, with all the inquiries that the government has called into the supermarkets, to do this now, to me, basically says to the government, we've got too much power, guys. You know, no one's going to touch us. We can do what the hell they like. To me, it's max absolute arrogance. 
A new threat to the national bee and honey industry has been confirmed near the port of Brisbane. A single Varroa jacobsoni mite, which is different to the more damaging Varroa destructor mite, was discovered during a routine inspection of a port sentinel beehive. The more aggressive Varroa destructor has caused mass devastation in southern states, but the Varroa jacobsoni still poses a significant threat to beekeepers. Rob Stevens from Biosecurity Queensland says authorities have killed the pest and are searching the area for wild bee swarms, but so far things look good. Varroa Jacobs and I, on the other hand, usually only stays on a different host, the Asian honeybee. Now, in certain parts of the world, it is known to transfer hosts. So in parts of uh, PNG and Fiji, it has made the shift from Apis serrana, which is your Asian honeybee, to Apis mellifera, which is a European honeybee. Once that has made that shift, it essentially can have the exact same effect as Varroa destructor. It's just that it doesn't usually frequent the European honeybees as a host. We're confident that our biosecurity systems that are in place are doing exactly what they're designed to do, that we've got sentinel hives situated around the port. Those sentinel hives picked up this mite very, very early and only one of the six hives has picked it up. The other five have given back five, uh, repeated negative tests. And to Tasmania now where walnut producers are dealing with a different type of difficult pest. Harvest is coming up in May and huge flocks of cockatoos can turn a bumper walnut crop into a pile of underdeveloped nuts on the ground within hours. Sophie Millick from Coldale Walnuts in Richmond says cockatoos are one of the farm's toughest challenges. This stage of production, keeping the cockies off is really important. Um, they've started coming around in the last few weeks and, and um, I can see that glint in their eyes. Um, so uh, it's now is the time when we start using a, a gas gun bird scarer to keep them off. And just, yeah, now that we've got the crop coming on nicely, doing everything we can to protect it. Uh, well, some seasons we've had flocks of around 300 birds and um, they can cause complete devastation if they're not... Um, picking the nuts off, they're they're pulling the leaves and the shoots off, so they're incredibly destructive. And was have you heard of a fruit called Langsat? Well, a family farm near Darwin in the Northern Territory is having a crack at growing the bright yellow fruit. There aren't many Langsat trees in Australia, but grower Han Shang Sia says they're so delicious, his family has planted 100 trees with the hopes of commercial production in the coming years. And he says consumers are keen to experience the fruit. It looks like grapes attached to trunks, but instead of the colour of a coloured grape of red or, or green, it's actually golden and yellow. It's probably as big as, uh, just a little bit larger than a, a quail egg. And it's, uh, the texture is, a, it's like a little bit of, it, it, when you open it up, it looks like um, a, it has little citrus segments. And it tastes kind of a little bit hint of citrus, a little bit of um, long clong, and a little bit of uh, long ones as well too. It's hard to describe until you try, but once you start, you, you don't stop. Being like in, in the Darwin region, we're, we're a lot more warmer here than Queensland, so we're, we, our fruit comes on a little bit earlier, so we can be able to reach onto that market earlier than the Queensland guys who can do it. Um, it is a quite a in-demand fruit, and when, when it's on the market, it's easily ranging about 30 to $40 a kilo. Wow. To my eye, it looks a little bit like a lychee or a rambutan was. I'd love to give those a try. That's it for Rural News Today. Stay cool out there, Was. I shall, Fiona Broom, and I'm the same as you. I'd love to get Langsat. That's new to me too. That description is incredible. 
and I really want to eat one. I always say I'll try anything once, but that sounds like something I'd eat more than once. That's why we have rural news to hear stories like that. That's brilliant. 0467-842-722. If you want to send us a text, a lot of wind-related and weather-related texts coming in right now and on-the-spot weather reports, which is just great. Two millimetres from Chris at Carowina in the far northwest. Ben from Marino says hot and windy 50-kilometre-hour winds where he is. Tony at Avoca, overcast, no wind, light rain, 25 degrees. Good to hear, Tony. But uh, Deb sent in an interesting text just now saying, Hi, Warwick, we're here in Lang Coop. The wind's hit. We can't see the paddocks for all the dust. The sky is turning dark and stormy looking. Sorry to say it's on its way to the fire grounds. Thanks, Deb. So between rainfall reports, thunderstorm reports, wind and hot weather reports, we've got it all happening in Victoria right now. We're not the biggest state, but we certainly have a lot, which is why Stephanie Miles comes and joins us right now from the Bureau of Meteorology to tell us what's going on outside. G'day, Stephanie. Hi, Warwick. How are you? Yeah, good. Take us into Victoria this lunchtime. Is the weather starting to turn in a few areas? Yeah, it definitely is. I'm not surprised to hear all those different uh, reports on the text line. I can imagine that it might be feeling a little bit confusing out there for a lot of people, in particular just because we have that big cloud band that we're expecting. And really, that's really you know, hindering a lot of places from getting to those warm temperatures. And like you said, there's even rain in some places. Uh, I know I've seen some reports in Ballarat and Ararat as well. So, yeah, look, quite confusing out there at the moment. Uh, But look, of concern to us in particular is that really dry and clearer air that's kind of behind the big rain band. So as those... uh, you know, as the clear air kind of moves over those areas, it allows the temperatures to increase and then also the atmosphere to mix down those really strong winds that we have in the upper atmosphere and also increase uh, the chance of those thunderstorms uh, in the instability in the atmosphere. So, look, as that clear air moved over, it's currently over the southwest, but as it moved over places like Horsham and Hamilton this morning, uh, Hamilton got gusts up to about 74 kilometres per hour in those northwesterlies and also the temperature jumped, you know, two to three degrees in just half an hour. So... That's the stuff that we're really looking for at the moment. But at the moment, in terms of that big cloud band, it's kind of extending from the northwest up in the Mallee and then down into about the metro Melbourne area. So those places can continue to probably feel a little bit confused in terms of you know, the cloud and the rain and the not warm temperatures. Definitely different to the messaging that we've been pushing in the last couple of days with those hot, dry, windy conditions. But look, as it moves eastwards, those clearer and windier and warmer conditions will start to move across the state. And as they do, a lot of places are probably going to feel those 60 to 80 kilometre per hour wind gusts uh, and those temperatures start to increase in particular. And as it moves across, it'll probably reach those central parts of the state later in the afternoon. So there's a good chance that some places might not even reach their hottest temperatures until quite late in the day and then it will really just peak as they get the clear air that moves over them. Um, but was this is all ahead of an actual wind change at what we're expecting later this afternoon. So these strong northwesterly winds will likely turn into really strong and gusty westerly winds as well. And it'll start to move into the southwestern parts of the state later this afternoon around 3 to 4 p.m., uh, that's in particular around the southwest coast. But then if you draw a line from perhaps up from the Mallee down to the surf coast, just near the Otways, that south, well, more westerly, the southwesterly change will start to move around through around 7 to 8 p.m., perhaps through the Melbourne area around 9 to 10 p.m., and then probably not reach anywhere up until Shepparton down to Sale uh, around midnight. So a lot of places not really getting any cool relief from those warm temperatures today either until very late in the day. So, yeah, look, it's really confusing out there at the moment. I know places up in, you know, very northern parts of the state which have got clear skies at the moment reaching already 39 degrees in Swan Hill. So, yeah, look, a confusing day ahead in terms of the wind. 
winds and the change of the winds and then the conditions that you're going to get. But look, that southwesterly change is on its way. And yeah. then, yeah, expect the windy, windy conditions to continue for today. Uh, and uh, just a couple of questions before we move on from today. I've got a couple of questions to ask you about the, the winds, particularly in some of those storm hit areas a few weeks ago in um, southern Gippsland. What's What's their wind situation meant to be like uh, today? There were some, some warnings that have been sort of downgraded by the looks of it earlier, but um, uh, the text here saying it's not quite clear. What can you tell us about the, the Stresleckis and that sort of area? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's very similar to what we're experiencing in the western parts of the state. They're just going to experience later in the day. So they are expecting those 60 to 80 kilometre per hour winds and the wind gusts in those northwesterlies. I think the chance of those thunderstorms uh, in the area that will also be later in the afternoon, not so much bringing any further wind um, risks at all, perhaps be up into the higher 80 kilometres per hour if you get any wind gusts with thunderstorms, but very similar to the western parts of the state, work. And, and as far as the wind change timing-wise, what was the time on that when you're expecting the winds to turn, particularly around that fire ground area? Around the fire ground area, I'm assuming that you're uh, speaking around the one to the northwest yeah. of Ballarat. Yeah, Beaufort, yeah, <laughs> Beaufort area uh, and uh, yeah, all that raglan, all that sort of area. Yeah, look, at the moment, it looks like it's going to reach there anywhere between 6 to 8 p.m. I would say probably on the later uh, scale of that and closer towards 8 p.m. at the moment, Warwick. Brilliant. And I suppose then we can move on to tomorrow, Stephanie. What's what's tonight meant to be like for, for much of Victoria and what do we look at tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as the sun goes down, a lot of places those winds will start to ease and then the change is kind of moving through the rest of the eastern parts of the state throughout the early mornings of tomorrow morning and clearing mostly by early, oh, sorry, mid-morning on Thursday. And behind that, we'll kind of get a little bit more of a more settled westerly wind uh, continuing tomorrow, perhaps a couple of showers on and south of the ranges, but otherwise it will feel a lot different to what we've got to today. And those conditions are going to continue into Friday as well. But then by the weekend, we will have maybe a little bit shift of those winds to a more of a southerly direction which will bring some cooler temperatures maybe on and south of the ranges, those places in the north really sticking around the mid to high 20s, even early 30s throughout the weekend. But look, a lot more settled conditions throughout, really from tomorrow until Sunday, even into Monday work. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot going on there, but hopefully some better conditions then for, for firefighters and their work at the moment. Stephanie, thank you so much for that. Just before I let you go, warnings wise over the next day or two, is there anything we should keep an eye out for? I mean, if anyone's game to go out onto the coastal waters, we've got some strong winds at the moment. But then also we've got our fire danger warnings as well. But, yeah, look, I would just stress so much. People stay safe, stay, stay cool, and make sure you check in with any friends and family that might be in any of those risk areas, Warwick. Brilliant. Thanks, Stephanie. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through, well, a lot of the forecasts for today because that's what many of you are caring about. And your uh Hourly, well, minute-by-minute minute weather reports coming through on the text line are fantastic. Keep them coming. Tell me where it's raining. Tell me where it's windy. This is great information. Chris says only light wind here at Bolgana, but it's in the east. If it increases, it could push the fire closer to us here. Yeah, Chris, you look like you're largely out of a lot of those uh, those warning areas at the moment, but um, I'd imagine it is a nervous time when you've got that coming at you at the moment, and good information all the same. Thank you for providing that. Zero four six seven eight four two. 722. Speaking of important information, the Ballarat Incident Controller, Jared Hayes, has been updating the media on the current situation on the fire ground for that major fire burning to the northwest of Ballarat at the moment. And here's what he told media uh, within the last half an hour or so. We're going to monitor the wind change throughout the day, but we expect around sort of sunset tonight that there could be a, a westerly wind change that could impact 
the fire ground in Western Victoria. So currently we've got northerly winds and we expect that to move around to the west uh, later on today. While we're experiencing the rainfall right now, yeah, there is a thunderstorm activity level of two that we've got, um, so th dry thunderstorms could be uh, likely as well. Is there a chance this rain's going to do some work to put it out? Currently the fire activity, we've got the fire completely contained. Um, that's, uh, there's 157 kilometres of um, perimeter on this fire and it's 22,000 hectares in size. We have a control line right the way around the fire and last night our crews were able to complete important burning out operations in the northwest sector, in the Ben Nevis sector near Eversley and Elmhurst. And we're also able to complete burning out operations in the east near the Amphitheatre Road. So um, we were really concerned about those two pockets of the fire ground that had unburnt in it. And uh, we were concerned about if fire was to spread today and spot out of the fire. But I can report that those operations, um, they met objectives overnight and we're currently monitoring the perimeter of the fire and we haven't seen any growth in the fire today. We've got approximately 500 firefighters uh, out on the ground and in the incident management team managing this fire. Um, they're spread right the way around that 157 kilometre perimeter of the fire. We've had two watch and act uh, messages over the fire for some days and that was the not safe to return watch and act. They are still in position and we've got some advice messages around the immediate perimeter of the fire uh, for community. What we are preparing for is if there is any movement in this fire, if it breaches control lines, we'll be actively communicating to the community about that and that will be a watch and act, or likely an emergency alert, that um, you know, fire may impact them shortly. So our previous messaging has been as in your fire plan was to leave early and that was last night. <clears throat> so we'll be communicating that if that occurs. With the weather today, it, it really is an hour by hour um, proposition so we're monitoring that closely. There will be the wind change, um, obviously a strong northerly and westerly winds, high temperatures and low humidity. Um, so for every hour that this fire doesn't breach control lines um, we're in a really good position and our firefighters are currently actively with aircraft and on the ground blacking out that edge, monitoring that edge and making sure that fire stays within containment lines. Two community meetings were uh, at Avoca and Beaufort yesterday and we had really positive feedback from community. Uh, they appreciated the timely advice but I was also hearing from my deputy incident controllers on site that people were heeding that warning so I just wanted to reach out to the community and say thank you for those that have heeded the warning. Um, stay up to date with the local information through the Vic Emergency app, your local emergency broadcaster uh, about the current situation and we'll make sure that we're communicating to you what is happening on the fire ground. So our, our confidence is not that high in making sure that we won't have any breaches of containment today. So we're really up against um, significant fuel, weather and topography issues on the fire ground that may see a breach of that containment line today. So what we're preparing for today is that we're really in a state of readiness. We've got some firefighters deployed closely to the fire ground. They're blacking out the edge and treating any hotspots that we're picking up through our aerial intelligence gathering platform. We've got aircraft actively working the edge of the fire and um, firebombing that edge. We've got, uh, all, we will always have a continual presence on the south and the east of the fire with a, a, a firebombing aircraft should the need arise that they need to actively suppress the fire. 
Um, around the fire though, so the whole emergency services are pre-positioned resources within the Western Victoria and Grampians region to uh, respond to any new starts. Not only this fire, but to, to this afternoon's weather, there is a real likelihood that if a, start, a fire does start, it will be very difficult to suppress. You can hear the rain in the background there, isn't it? Isn't that frustrating to hear that it's probably not going to do enough in terms of the weather forecast for that fire ground and authorities obviously still very concerned about the weather that will be experienced in that area over the next few hours and also what it means when the wind change comes through later this afternoon. Plenty of your text still coming in uh, and really good stuff. And Jim... Jim, with a with a nice uh, comment for the Bureau of Meteorology saying a well-presented, clear and comprehensive forecast from Jim in the bush. Look, we don't always get cheers for the Bureau on this program, so happy to pass that one through uh, when it comes through, Jim. Thank you very much for that text. You are listening to The Country Hour. We will step away from that fire just for a, a moment, but if obviously any news, anything happens, comes to hand, we'll bring that to you on the program as soon as we get it. And, of course, you, that continues during the afternoon on ABC Local Radio through Prue and the Drive team into Evenings with David. Uh, There is always uh, plenty of information that will be provided to you as it comes to hand. Let's talk the financial levies collected from grain growers in Victoria and who has control over that and is a decision to change where that money goes, part of the wider battle for control of money and power inside the Victorian Farmers Federation that is going on right now. Farmers voted at the VFF's grain conference to keep collecting grain levies, but divert them away from a more centralised Victorian Farmers Federation. Andrew Wiedemann led that charge. He has been uh, one of the uh, uh, front runners of the challenges to uh, VFF leadership in recent times through petitions, a court case, and even uh, trying to have a motion from the floor at the Victorian Farmers Federation AGM earlier this month to remove current VFF leadership can join you on the program. Now, Andrew Wiedemann, welcome back to the country out. Yeah, thanks, Warwick, and uh, good afternoon, listeners. And just before we get into that details, you're at Rapanyup. How's the weather looking there? Uh, yeah, look, it's overcast, and uh, probably the day is not developing quite as badly just at the moment as we thought, Warwick. We even saw a few drops of rain earlier today, and uh, a bit in Horsham as well, I believe. So That's great to hear. At the moment, it's yeah, we're on on track, hopefully for um, you know not the the nasty conditions that have been forecast. You put a motion from the floor at the VFF Grains Conference to. Uh, change where levies being collected on behalf of of lobbying for grain growers goes. What can you tell us? Yeah, that's correct, Warwick. So most of the listeners who are VFF members are aware the membership structure changed middle of last year. The board made a determination that they weren't going to require the levies anymore. And we have had a lot of farmers who have stopped paying levy, but there's quite a few like myself who are. And what we wanted to do is to ensure that the levies that are being collected still and going forward more of, hopefully, from uh, VFF members and others who aren't even members, being put aside in a special account, which was what was designed back in around 1998 when the VFF Grains Group levy was put in place. And as a consequence of that, uh, it was put in place to support advocacy and employ extra people in the Grains Group to work on dedicated areas for the benefit of the grain growers in Victoria. So even though VFF sort of how the membership uh, dollars are collected has changed, some growers are still choosing for this levy to be collected? 
Look, absolutely, Warwick. I mean, there's no logical sense from uh, us as the members of the organisation to see funds not going into the organisation somehow in some form. We know the resources and we'll see a depleted balance sheet again this year on the back of them taking the uh, foot off on levy collection from dairy and on grains, but also in terms of the overall membership. So, you know, there's a lot of frustration, as you've already expressed, Warwick, and I don't think we need to go into that. But, you know, we're moving on in terms of what we see from the grains uh, group and the grains members here in Victoria as important to us to try and ensure that the grains council has uh, the resources and the support that it needs. I mean, we've got some incredibly strong young leaders coming through and uh, it's a shame not to be able to support them as we have in the past to ensure that we have good advocacy and the advocacy that has paid benefits to the growers of Victoria for a long time, even those that aren't members of the VFF have benefited from the work through the diesel fuel rebate, through the uh, primary producer registration, through access to GM crops. Let's just not go through our, uh, old ground so, just because I'm conscious of time, Andrew Wiedemann. Just absolutely. a couple of quick questions. How much money are we talking about here per year? So, look, on the balance of accounts, anywhere from uh, 200 to 400,000 has been collected uh, annually through this process, depending on the seasonal outcomes, Warwick, and those uh, companies that are aligned uh, with the uh, VFF account to actually remit those funds. So, so who the, controls the money now? So, the VFF. Uh, receives the money from the marketers and, and what we're talking about now is setting up this special account which obviously has to go through some legal areas and then setting that up and then talking to each of the marketers to redesign where that money goes uh, and that's the agreement. Is the agreement so the VFF Grange the Group, not VFF leadership that you're fighting with at the moment, controls the money, is that correct? The VFF Grains Group is supposed to control the money, but at the moment the board has control over those funds, and that's where the, a lot of angst has been, Warwick. But of course, so is this as an extension of your fight with VFF leadership, or is this something different? No, this is totally different. This is setting up something, um, you know, for the longer term benefit of the industry going forward for the next 10, 20 years or longer, Warwick, well past my time to ensure that advocacy for the grains industry is well resourced and well supported for the benefit of, of those who are paying the funds. Would this have had to be done, though, if you weren't in the current situation where you're calling very publicly for Emma Germano to step down from VFF leadership? Well, look, that's a separate issue. This is about um, the determination the board made to actually cease those funds from both dairy and levy as a consequence of membership. So, you know, we need, we need to keep resourcing advocacy and uh, the balance sheet of the VFF is another matter. But the reality is, you know, we need resources for the grains industry specifically, because that's who's paying the money here, and for the benefit of, of the grains industry here, uh, those funds should be used. And, and so those funds are being set aside in a special account for the special purpose, and, and the VFF will be able to access those funds through um, you know, applying for projects to uh, employ people or look at um, certain projects that will need to be done on behalf of the grains members here in Victoria. So there's not shutting them off to the funds, Warwick. It's actually just designing They're the process. They're just going to have to come to you. The fight over money and power continues. Andrew Wiedemann, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thanks, Warwick. Andrew Wiedemann speaking to you there, farmer from Rapanium. Market time. Let's get straight into it. Lean Gather Cattle with Brendan Fletcher. 
G'day Warwick, there were 480 more at 2480 with the usual buyers operating in the dearer market in places. Quality was good in the bullocks and mixed in the trade. The best trade lots sold firm to a little dearer while secondary cattle eased in the young sale. Grown steers and bullocks lifted 5 to 10. Manufacturing steers sold up to 8 cents dearer. Veal was sold from 270 to 386. Yearling trade steers 320 to 390. The heifer portion 280 to 367. Ground steers 300 to 325. Bullocks 305 to 326. Heavy Frisian manufacturing steers 205 to 277. Crossbreds 230 to 312. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA with a thousand cows and the bulls still to be sold. Still sheep and lambs to come. Let's go to Horsham and Graham Palmer. Good afternoon, everyone. Lamp supply increased by 3,450 and a big lift in sheep numbers to 5,850 for a total of 14,400. Quality range from plain to very good. The usual buying group attended operating a similar market on the lamb run. Fit all was dear on select pens. Medium and heavy trade lamb sold from 136 to 168. Heavyweight sold from 193 to 215. Merino lambs ranged from 92 to 140. Hoggett sold from 86 to 120. Restockers paid from 89 to 126. And from 20 to 76 dollars for Merino lambs. The sheep quality covered all weights and following last week's improvement continued to sell the strong demand, being from 15 to 30 dollars head up on last week. Merino ewes made to 131, Merino weathers to 127, heavy crossbreed ewes to 131. The light trade lambs sold from 118 to 138, to average 610. Medium trade lambs 136 to 152, averaging 600. Export weights from 168 to 188, to average 625. Extra heavy lambs 193 to 215, they've averaged 610. Medium sheep sold from 65 to 100, to average 3 dollars 40. Rams made to 26. Been growing pirate horsham for MLA. And Chris Agnews at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. With the hot weather and the diminishing summer crops in the area and dry feed lacking protein, agents yarded an increased number of 15,500 lambs at Hamilton, which was an increase of some 6,500 lambs. Quality overall was very good with an excellent selection of trade weight lambs. However, there was a larger tail lacking cover and size this week compared to last week. Not all the processors were present and or fully active in a market that was softer by $10 per head over some categories but not all the heavy lambs being most affected depending on quality with the lambs back to the paddock they remained firm in price the next best heavy lambs made up to 190 dollars most lambs to the trade realizing between 570 and 650 cents the like 12 to 16 kg lambs making from 50 to 117 lambs to the trade 18 to 22 115 to 150 and the 22 to 26 kilo lambs 136 to 170 dollars at hamilton this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks, Chris. That's about all the time we have for you on the Country Hour. A few quick weather reports. Wendy, Maryborough, Central Victoria, dead calm with a few spots of rain. Catabatite, 34 degrees, 16 kilometre hour winds, 35% humidity. Uh, horrible, 35 to 40 kilometre winds uh, with gusts far higher. Temperature gauge, 34 degrees at Pigeon Ponds. And Peter at Ballarat says it was only a light shower. It wouldn't have put out a campfire. It's a shame we could use a decent soak. Pete goes on to have greater information too. I haven't got time for that at the moment, Pete. Thank you for your text. Thank you for your company on the country. I won't be here tomorrow. Say hi to Jane.